Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Ezra Levin is on the line with us. He's the co-founder and co-executive director of Indivisible, along with his wife, Leah Greenberg. The website is indivisible.org, and his Twitter handle is Ezra Levin, E-Z-R-A-L-E-V-I-N. Ezra, welcome to the program. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. Thanks. Great to have you with us. I love your organization. You are one of the really, in my mind, premier organizations, one of the most effective, one of the most tightly focused. You do just absolutely great work. Talk to us about continuing the resistance from home. I really appreciate your words there and the praise for our organization. I think the the thing that makes the organization unique is the movement behind it. There are people all over this country in every single congressional district in this country who are part of the indivisible movement. And that's how we started in response to Trump to stand up against the worst atrocities committed by this administration and by his supporters in Congress. And it was based on this one central idea that your members of Congress wake up every single morning thinking, how am I going to get reelected? And the answer to that question is they've got to prove to their constituents back home that they're one of the good folks in Washington, D.C., working for their constituents. And that means individual people, when they combine in groups at the community level, can actually influence what members of Congress do. That's the whole idea of what we've been doing for the last three and a half years. It's what we did when we fought against the repeal of the Affordable Care Act, what we did when we fought against DACA being rescinded or the tax scam being passed in 2017. It was that same local people power that we used to help build the largest midterm margins in the history of the Republic in 2018. So that's what we've been doing now. Now we are experiencing a new national trauma. It's not just Donald Trump, but there is this pandemic. There is an economic recession. And at the same time, we have these national leaders like Mitch McConnell in the Senate saying, hey, it's okay if cities and states go bankrupt. We have Donald Trump musing on live national television that maybe we should inject Lysol or ingest Lysol in order to get rid of the virus. So we have one party that has absolutely zero competence, zero respect for human life. And then we have the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party can indeed be a force for good in this moment. We've had some action from the Democrats to fight for positive legislation. We got them to fight hard for increased funding for unemployment benefits and for food stamps. These are good things. And the Democrats have power because we gave them power in 2018. That's what's exciting right now. They actually have a seat at the table. Now what we're looking is for Democrats to fight hard and individuals 
throughout the country have a role in doing that. And yes, we, we can't show up in mass at town halls or at congressional district offices like we did in 2017 because of the virus, but Congress is still listening. Congress is still listening. So the way to get involved is to get involved, to raise your hand and say, hey, I want to do something. And you listed the website, indivisible.org. People can go there to figure out how. We have daily scripts. So you don't have to be an expert in coronavirus or legislative process. We have daily scripts that we are putting out that says, hey, here's what you can call and tell your member of Congress. Talk to me about the people's agenda. We think this is basic stuff. This is not radical. These are proposals that everybody ought to be able to get behind. And we know that because they poll extremely high, not just among Democrats, not just among independents, but Republicans, too, want to see this. And the people's agenda is about what do we want to see in a coronavirus response package that comes out of Congress next? And we have four basic planks. Number one, we ought to be keeping people on the payrolls. We ought to stop the mass layoffs. We ought to preserve employment relationships. That's basic. People are losing their jobs by the millions right now. We need to stop that. Two, we need to provide financial relief. And that means direct financial relief. The most recent package provided one paltry $1,200 check to families around the country. That's not enough. $1,200 isn't going to cover the rent in May or June or July. It's just not enough. We need to provide financial relief directly to individuals. Three, this should be a no-brainer regardless of what your political party is. We need to provide for the safety and security of our frontline workers, of those people who are actually directly responding to this crisis. And four, and this also should be a no-brainer based on what your party is. It should not matter. We ought to defend our democracy. We all saw what happened in Wisconsin earlier this month. It was a travesty of democracy. It was a human catastrophe. We were forcing people in the Wisconsin election to choose between their life and their vote. And we know now that many people who waited in line for hours to vote in the Wisconsin election then contracted the coronavirus. That is unacceptable in American democracy. That should not be what plays out in November. And Congress has the ability to change that. We have the ability to include in the next legislative package funding for vote by mail, funding for election protections to ensure that we actually can have a full-fledged election that lives up to democratic norms in November. That's it. That is it. Keep people on the payrolls. Provide financial relief to people. Provide support directly for frontline workers and protect our democracy. So we are asking members of Congress right now to say we will support those planks in the next legislative package. Senator Mark Warren is pointing out that most of your northern European countries, Spain and Italy might be exceptions to this, but Italy not so much northern either, but are experiencing unemployment levels that are below 5% right now because they haven't put banks in the middle. The banks have now made hundreds of billions of dollars in fees. They can make as much as 5% in the fees on these paycheck protection plan loans. They haven't put banks in the middle and they haven't forced people to go through a state-run unemployment system to get access to money. They simply funnel the money either directly to the individuals, as Canada is doing, or directly to the individuals via the company payroll systems. Are you hearing from Democratic representatives that that's something that they would like to do? Oh, absolutely. There are some great bills that are being put out right now by some of the progressive members of Congress that don't recreate the problems that were created in the earlier um, earlier packages. To your point of putting banks in the middle, this has been a huge problem. There was a quote-unquote small business loan program included in the third and fourth legislative packages 
that passed Congress. Now, I say quote-unquote small business because we know places like Potbelly Sandwich Shop and, and Ruth's Chris Steakhouse got loans. While I'm hearing from indivisible group leaders across the country who are also small business owners who couldn't even get their banks to return their calls. They couldn't even get an application right. in. So we created a program that says, hey, anybody can apply. Just go to your bank. And lo and behold, when you allow anybody to apply and allow the bank to be the middleman, then the, the groups that have the strongest relationships with the banks make it to the front of the line. And so we have enormous businesses getting tens of billions of dollars, maybe more in quote unquote small business loans. It's absolutely unacceptable. And so, yes, there are good ideas that actually put people first. I know that's a radical idea that we should actually be serving the people. But yes, indeed, there are some members of Congress who are looking to put people first. Representative Pramila Jayapal, who's the chair of the Progressive Caucus, incredible member of Congress. She has something called the Paycheck Guarantee Bill, which offers just universal response. It is a universal response to this universal crisis. And it doesn't pit employers against each other. Uh, Representative Rokana, also an excellent member of the Progressive Caucus, has something called the Essential Worker Bill of Rights Bill. And that just provides basic health and safety standards to ensure that corporations are actually held accountable for meeting their obligation to essential workers. So to your point, this isn't something where we need to develop some radical new idea, test something that has never been tested before. We know what works. The question isn't, do we know what legislation to pass? The question is, is the political will there? And so this is the moment that, it, that indivisible and the grassroots resistance that we've seen over the last three and a half years, this is what it was made for. It was to put that political pressure on the system. Yeah. Amen. Ezra Levin with Indivisible, the co-founder of Indivisible.org, also the co-executive director. Ezra, you're doing God's work. Keep it up. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Tom. April in Santa Monica. Hey, April, what's up? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. I'm actually just kind of concerned that we spend so much time pointing our fingers at Donald Trump, who is awful and who's going to probably remain awful, when we're supposed to be a nation of laws. And if indeed he has broken laws, which Nancy Pelosi has stood on the floor and said that he has done, why is it that we as a country are unable to do anything about it? Why is it that we cannot stop him? Why is it that this one man is allowed to do whatever he does and we just all freak out and throw our hands up in the air like, oh my God, what is he going to do next? We obviously are not the nation of laws that we thought that we were, and I think that we need to concentrate on doing something about that. You ask why is it? Let me give you a list. It is uh, Martha McSally in Arizona who voted not to impeach Trump. It's Cory Gardner in Colorado who voted not to impeach Trump. It's Kelly Loeffler in Georgia, David Perdue of Georgia, Joni Ernst of Iowa, Susan mm-hmm. Collins of Maine, Steve Daines of Montana, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, John Cornyn of Texas, and, and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. People, I do understand that a lot of people um, did not vote to impeach Trump. My other question about that is why would we have a Trump impeachment that was such a narrow scope? If we had any other man in the presidency who had 40 women who accused him of sexual assault, who had um, um, who had casinos, uh, not casinos, but hotels all over that he was trying to use, there were so many other grounds for impeachment. And we just, yeah. usually you want to throw the book at someone like that. We, we did yeah. this little narrow scope. And it allowed... I'm, I'm with you, April, but, but, it, but had it been broader, it would have gone down in flames even more rapidly. April, thank you for the call. Tori in Poway, California. Hey, Tori, what's up? Thanks for watching us on YouTube. I'm 
a suburban privileged guiltist right about now. My entire life, I've been making calls, voting, emails, and I'm seeing that all my effort and all my work is going nowhere. It's falling on deaf ears because I feel like corporatism has bought pretty much the majority of our entire D.C. leadership. And so I'm a Bernie follower. It was always not me, us. And right now, us has no direction. And I would like for someone to start an organization, hashtag we the donors. And every Tuesday, because Tuesday is the day we usually vote, they have like a targeted hit list of who to donate to. So we reward AOC for voting no on a bill that had no relief for the people. We donate money to the challenger of Mitch McConnell because he wants to open up the Senate for judges, but not to give relief to the people. The policies that you have these amazing progressive House representatives presenting, they have no power. And I see it over and over again. Nancy Pelosi does not listen to them because she thinks we, the people, and us are not with them, but we are. So if we donate when the Worker Bill of Rights comes out and you see who signs it, donate to their campaign. Tell them with our dollars. You get the unions of the nurses, the teachers. I'm home right now teaching my kids Lord of the Flies. And I'm seeing Mm. our nation pretty much becoming a society of where we can decide how we want to live. Are we going to be savages or are we going to be good? Are we going to help the people? They're sophomores in high school and they're living through this, learning some of this. And we need to weaponize who we are and take back. Tori, you should start a super PAC. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Well, I don't frankly know how to do it either. I've never done it, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you can find instructions online. I'm all in favor of what you're talking about. Tori, thank you for the call. And thanks for watching us there on YouTube. Joe in Swainsboro, Georgia. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Former college professor. I taught health education, backpacking survival, became a certified EMT in the state of New Jersey. I have some idea of a lot of the things that you're mentioning. And uh, also, I classify you as an All-American. <laughs> Since I coached, I'll give you my vote for All-American. My grandpa, who lived in the state of New Jersey with my grandma back in 1918, my dad was seven and his brother was eight at the time, and he died from the Spanish flu. Oh, my. I never had that opportunity to see him, but again, my grandma and my two uncles uh, for my father and his brother, they had a chance to live through that. And I'm 76 years old, and I've been here since 1943, and I think I've lived through a few things in my time. So I'm just trying to share mm-hmm. that with you and your listeners. And there's a certain level of deliberate indifference and deliberate avoidance, not only by Trump, but Congress the IRS, and a variety of other agencies that we have to deal with, 56 in all from what I believe. Partly it's the problem and the result of the indifference of the populace, the voters, and any combination thereof. I'm guessing that your family was impacted by the death of your grandfather. I I, I look at my mother, 
uh, whose father died when she was 13 of a heart attack, you know, in the late 30s as a result of the Great Depression. He got wiped out, right. he lost everything and had a heart attack and died. And she never recovered from that. I mean, she used to listen to Neil Diamond albums because his voice sounded just like her father. And I never met him. I didn't know who he was, but she would just listen to these songs on and on and on because it sounded like daddy. She was so wounded by that. It's And, and just think of, I mean, we've got... 60,000 families in the United States, probably 100,000, who are mourning and grieving right now because Donald Trump didn't stop this virus at our shores the way that Australia did, the way that New Zealand did, the way that South Korea did, the way that Japan did, the way that Germany is, um, because we have just an incompetent idiot in the White House. Um, I'm assuming it affected your family too, Joe. Oh, big time. Uh, my, my dad often spoke of his dad and and. All I could see is pictures, and it's unfortunate yeah. of the 60,000 that we're dealing with now that have experienced death, and as you mentioned today, probably twenty or 30,000 more. And one of the things that I think about is, as a former professional a professor and a health educator, knowing how easily diseases are passed around in the world, and I've been to all 50 states. I've been to all the provinces of Canada, Mexico. I traveled Western Europe. I worked in Saudi Arabia. I understand third world. I've been to the Philippines. I've been to Japan. I know what third world is, and I know how poor it is. I grew up poor. And currently, I have prostate cancer. I have lung issues. I had open-heart surgery, and I'm still here, thankfully. And yeah. I only wish more people <laughs> would really and truly do things that you suggest and that you mention and you talk about and deal with their representatives in a way that would have to get something changed. I really think that at the end of all this, you know, a couple of years down the road, we're going to look back and say this was a major turning point. This was when America decided not to embrace fascism, the fascism that Donald Trump was leading us towards, that America decided to reject oligarchy and Reaganism and trickle-down economics and, and the whole thing, you know, the, the initial government response, the Trump administration response to the Trump Depression, the, you know, the, the Great Depression of 2020, you know, was so incompetent that we got to bring new people in. Joe, thanks so much for the call. It's great to hear from you and swap stories with you. Thank you. And thanks for your kind words. Tom Harbin here with you and Michael in Denver. Hey, Michael, uh, you wanted to talk about resilience? I just wanted to add a little bit of, you know, personal. We're talking about the generations that we have coming behind us. I have three kids. The oldest is 30 years old. The youngest is 25. I and my wife, living here in Colorado, we did everything that we could to get them out back to the garden. There's a song by Joni Mitchell where she that's part of the course of getting back to the garden. What I mean by that is that we have plenty of nature here in Colorado. They grew up in the mountains. They grew up in the barn. They grew up in the garage. They grew up with tools around them. They grew up doing all kinds of projects. They were in the scouts and stuff and my wife and I participated as volunteers. So we traveled coast to coast and we showed them the country, and we drove. Never did we take a family vacation and had to fly somewhere. So mm -hmm. what we did was showed them the world. 
we showed them our country also. That came from my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran. Liberty Fleets, you can look that up. I'm a veteran. I showed them photography. I showed them electronics, electricity. Subsequently, I have two kids that live, one in New York City and one in L.A., the two boys. They're the, the oh. oldest. Yeah. They're in school, they're working, and all. The daughter is here. She makes jewelry, real jewelry. They've learned. They're not perfect or anything, okay? But they are outstanding citizens, and I'm biased. And that's what you have to do with your children. And now, in particular, we're connected by Zoom and the phone. I'm an old guy, and the phone, I like to hear voices and stuff. And we're mm -hmm. doing our due diligence. And I didn't even have to really tell them. They've learned it from you. Yeah. They watch free speech TV like ask them to do, and they don't do it from time to time. But they know who you are and the people there. So what we really need to do is to look and say, I'm going to take you, and we're going to walk down the trail. And by the way, before I get off, you are one of the best trail masters that this country can have at this point in time. So I thank you for what you do every single day. And that comes from a 22-year Navy veteran that understands that you know what we've all gone through throughout the course of history, especially the last half of the 20th century. I thank you for bringing history to the fore, as we like to say. Be thank well you, out Mike. there, Tom. Be safe. And all thank your you. people there thank in the studio. Thanks. It's great to hear from you. And thank you for your kind words. And good on you for, you know, all that effort into your parenting. Makes me feel guilty. David, in, I'm just joking. David in San Francisco, you're on the air, David. What's up? A couple of things. And maybe to tag in with uh, that previous caller and studying reviving history so that we don't forget it. Mm -hmm. The conservatism that these guys pretend, the Republicans, the Trumpites, pretend to be conservatives. But conservatives check the books. And, for example, Trump has fired the bank examiner, the, uh, the books examiner of the trillion-dollar giveaway, and I don't think he's replaced him yet. So there's no way that these people are honest conservatives if they don't want to check the books. The other angle of this is, is that market forces and epidemics – there's an old Joseph Conrad line about if you fall overboard in the ocean, you don't fight the ocean, you float. If you don't fight the ocean, you're going to drown. The only way to survive it is you float. Mm -hmm. Every standard economic, every standard medical book says you do not thrash around during an epidemic. And for these guys to want to recreate business, well, what do their insurance companies think about that? You know, if a real market forces guy had an insurance policy on his ice cream stand or in his used car lot or whatever they had, and the insurance agent says, well, you start allowing people in the middle of an epidemic to come on your property, if you encourage them in there, then you're actually inviting them to a danger. So what does market forces say about that? And uh, so yeah. I did, uh, they're fake conservatives all the way. Yeah, I'm with you. And not only that, now Mitch McConnell is saying we need to uh, hold companies harmless if they engage in behaviors that lead to the death of their employees, which is nuts. I mean, you know, they're just trying to roll back 50 years worth of uh, workplace law. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Doug in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Doug, what's up? 
Well, you know, I'm kind of a Bernie guy, but I think we need to reopen and uh, go with the Swedish approach, which the World Health Organization praises now. And uh, I, I wanted uh, to the World Health Organization is not specifically praising the Swedish approach. The Swedes have three times the death rate of their other Nordic neighbors. Sweden is moving toward herd immunity. That's their goal. But they're doing it very differently than we're doing it here, Doug. In Sweden, you have, from the beginning, people have been wearing masks. They've been social distancing. A lot of, their, a lot of the businesses where you might have a lot of people showing up, like bars, are still closed. They have, and this is all voluntary because it's a small country where everybody, I mean, this is why they have a national health care system. Everybody's looking out um, for everybody. Everybody gets it that we're all in this together. Doug, yeah, we the, can't the, do what Sweden did in the United and restaurants States. It's not are open. The schools and restaurants are open. They've been the, open. The high the schools WHO, are not open. The colleges the are not open. Create- and restaurants are very, very limited. Doug, you're just not going to be able to do that here without massive numbers of deaths. And Sweden is starting to get significant pushback from their citizens as they're watching their elderly die. And they now have some major infections in some of their equivalent of what we would call nursing homes. Tom Friedman wrote a long piece about this two days ago in the New York Times. The so-called Swedish example that is being touted all over Fox News and on right-wing media is not, in my opinion, is not something that's going to work here in the United States because we don't have that level of cooperation. You know, you can just walk down the street and one out of three people are refusing to social distance in the United States because they're these fools and asses who are listening to Fox News and right wing hate radio. And they think it's a hoax. No one in Sweden thinks that it's a hoax. Uh, You know, they're they're working very hard to slow the transmission of this virus in Sweden. We are not, at least in the red state. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. And don't bother saying, hey, I'm a Bernie supporter before you spout some right wing crap at me. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Okay. 
Congressman Pocan. Welcome back. How did your trip to Washington, D.C. go? And what's at the top of your mind for today before we start taking calls here? It turned out we went to D.C. for a vote that five people voted against, and they put hundreds of people on planes across the country in order to do that. I think a lot of us are a little frustrated that there's not a better response to, one, how we can do proper oversight remotely, which we can do because I think everyone's experienced Zoom and other technology and how to do that. But second, you know, to bring us in to do a vote, it was an important vote, but we surely could find, whether it be proxy or other electronic ways of doing this, at a time that states and other countries are doing this. You know, I had nine people on my flight back to Chicago. There only were two flights from Chicago to D.C. I think in the Dane County Airport, and Dane County is where Madison, Wisconsin is, I think they typically have 3,000 people. I believe it's a day fly through there, but it might be a week. Uh, they had 100 people last week fly through the airport. So I think part of what we need to do is be smarter and using technology and getting back to our oversight role, but just physically being there when we have a lot of members who are in at-risk populations, I think it left a lot of us perplexed. But what I'm looking at this week is just, I think, everything that you just mentioned about all that's going on in the news, you know, uh, even last week from the injecting Clorox and comments like that from the president to Pence going to Minnesota and refusing to wear a mask because he wanted to look people in the eyes. Uh, you know, I just don't know where dumb ends these days, but we're, <laughs> we're concerned that we need to seriously ramp up testing. And that's probably my biggest focus these days. And a good one. John in Los Angeles, listening on KPFK, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, if you remember, the Republicans repealed Obamacare over 40 times. If I were Pelosi, I'd pass a clean bill giving every American $2,500 with a three-day expiration date and slap it on McConnell's desk. Then I'd hit the campaign trail and, and say, we're getting you $2,500. The Democrats are going to do it for you. And when the Republicans won't do it, then you come back, you do it again with $2,000. All right, we couldn't get $2,500. we are going for $2,000. Slam that on McConnell's desk and keep doing that and go down. And, you, you, you know, I think that would be a really good way good to show that you're really fighting for the average person and you're trying to give them more than a measly $1,200. That's my suggestion, and I think that would be a good thing to do. John, I agree with you, and that is some of what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get more regular payments to people because people are going to desperately need it. We can see where the unemployment numbers are. We're trying to help those small businesses to be able to keep people employed, and I think a lot more needs to happen in that end. I, I think part of the problem, in the next bill, we will be leading it out of the House, and that's good news. And it won't be next week, but the following week, we'll likely vote on the CARES 2 package or whatever we officially call it. Um, but up to this point, it's been CARES 2. Uh, the problem is, you know, McConnell. Um, you know, has not been uh, very uh, cooperative on doing things that obviously would help people. But just throwing something on his desk, he's already got hundreds of our bills on his desk, and he seems to be fine with that. I don't know if that strategy in and of itself is enough. I think we've put out that we want to do some of these things. We're trying to bring them cooperatively with us because it does make it much easier to have legislation actually pass, and people need it right now. So I think that strategy has been sound. But yesterday, Pramila Jayapal and I, who are co-chairs of the Progressive Caucus, had a great conversation with Steny Hoyer, trying to stress our priorities. We're doing the same thing, I think, later today with Nancy Pelosi. We're working to get the very best things we can have in there. How exactly that will come out of the caucus, I think, is going to need that leadership support. And I think that's part of what we're building now. And the most important thing, and you'll probably hear it later from the folks from Indivisible, is to be able to call your members of Congress and really try to get those things included in the next package. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. You're on the Earth Congress in Pocan. I'm calling 
today to ask you if it's fair to say that America is a failed state at this point. I mean, if you look at places like China, Singapore, South Korea, or Germany, they all have dealt with this situation far better than us. And why is that? Because they have strong, competent governments that actually work. They don't have this libertarian, Ayn Rand, free market ideology that seemed to sprout up from England and carried over to America, and we just have been thriving on. And I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah, there's no question. Donald Trump and his administration have handled this awfully. Even right now, they're trying to force reopening, but you can't reopen unless you have testing in place and tracing and other things that we are being told by every medical professional to do. And, you know, we've still just tested a little over 5 million people in this country, which is pathetic. South Korea has done a significantly better job. And unfortunately, we're never going to get to be as good as what they did because we haven't done the right decisions. I think the stat I heard this morning, and I'm trying to get it verified, but we have 4% of the world's population, but 27% of the world's coronavirus cases. I mean, that alone is a damning statistic to how this administration has mishandled every aspect of this. So right now, you know, I'm working in Wisconsin with my governor trying to get him to increase testing uh, in some unique ways, not waiting for federal supplies that aren't coming. And I think we found some ways to do that. We're going to have to keep working around the federal government. So whether that's a failed state, Jared, I I don't know what the best terminology for it is, but clearly Donald Trump has completely fumbled this in a way that has made tens of thousands of people die who didn't need to die. And now we're just trying to figure out how to best get those testing numbers up, get the tracing in place so that we're going to be forced to reopen uh, before we should. And we're supposed to wait till we have, I think, even by the administration's guidelines, 14 days of not having increases in cases in any given state, which no one is really at. We're going to need to be very creative in working around Donald Trump. And unfortunately, that's in many ways the best we have. Morris in Long Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, people who work in meatpacking plants have been ordered to go back to work. Now, that's where the virus is really kicking some butt. And people down in prison, they're really getting it real bad right now, too. What can these people do to protect themselves? The government is asking them to participate, or Trump's asking them to participate in a suicide mission. And this guy Scalia, this head of the CDC, I mean, you talk about just destroying American institutions. No institution has been destroyed like the CDC has been destroyed by this guy named Scalia. Please comment on my comments. Thank you, Congressman. And Tom, thank you, too. Let me answer on this specific aspect of it, because what you're saying is largely correct. I mean, right, there's uh, plenty of problems that we're seeing with this administration. When it comes to the meatpacking facilities, I think that's a huge problem. Him ordering them to work when that is, as you mentioned, one of the hottest spots we're seeing across the country. Green Bay, Wisconsin, Brown County had one of the biggest increases in the nation in cases because of a spread from a meatpacking facility. Uh, The same thing in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And we saw that in South Dakota and plenty of other places. And to make people go back on top of each other without having the conditions change for those work environments is crazy. It's beyond crazy. It's actually homicidal in some way you could argue, because if they don't have protections in place for those workers, uh, they'll continue to get sick, and that means some will die. So that's where we really have to be fighting, is to make sure that in an environment like that, and I understand people are going to want their meat at the grocery store, and that's what the president thinks he's responding to. They also, though, don't want people to die in order to get that for them. And we have to have those companies, before people can go back to work, have safe working conditions for people in this environment to be able to do that. 
Linwood in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. The next package you're working on, I'm one of those teamsters that's going to lose his pension. Are you guys going to be doing anything about that in this next package you're going to be working on? We've proposed a whole bunch of things, and right now we're trying to have those conversations to see what's going to be in the final package. It's largely negotiated by Nancy Pelosi, a few of the specific committee chairs that have some oversight in various areas with the Trump administration and with Mitch McConnell. And unfortunately, as I just mentioned there, you've got a Republican president, Republican Senate that probably aren't watching out for workers in the same way that we are. We've, we've mentioned the pension issues as something that we think has to be resolved, but I don't have word at this point whether or not they're going to be included. Mark Warner was on uh, MSNBC a little earlier, the senator from Virginia, talking about how most of your northern European countries have unemployment rates now that are below 5%. And it's because all of the money is going directly from the government through the employers to the workers. Whereas here we've put banks in the middle who have taken hundreds of billions of dollars in fees, and we've put the whole state-by-state unemployment system in the middle. Any of that going to change? So that's the same bill, a very similar bill to what Pramila Jayapal has introduced. I'm second on the bill. We've got a lot of people on it. Part of it is trying to convince leadership that they need to change the model of how to deliver this. And I think that's our, our challenge right now. Okay. Thank you. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. What are the Republicans doing? They're making you guys come out and vote in May. What is so important that you got to hold an election in May? Or did I hear that wrong? That they're demanding that you guys got to come out again. And this has got to be earning its popularity. Yeah, Russ. So I think the, the big issue was our obviously our April election when we tried to move it. And the state Supreme Court overturned us the day before the election. And then the U.S. Supreme Court changed the rules. And it was we had National Guard people working at poll workers. And we had five polling places in the entire city of Milwaukee, right? That was a mess of epic proportions. We have a special election for a congressional seat in one-eighth of Wisconsin, but a very rural one-eighth that's going to happen. That's going to be very hard to have that election happen well. The governor, again, I think is open to moving it, and the Republican legislature is saying no. So I think that's what they're referring to. It's a special election for the congressional race. I know there's a lot of uh, absentee ballot requests, much like we had in April, where seven percent of the people did vote by absentee ballot. But yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the fact that we have Republicans thinking that somehow uh, having elections during a pandemic makes any sense, which is why we have to push very hard to get a uh, vote by mail into the next CARES package that we pass uh, nationally. Tyrone in Harlem, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Congressman, I was wondering how are you going to deal with this situation of the country reopening, regardless of the consequences and the fact that they're not going to close this country again, no matter how many people have to suffer, because, you know, they realize that the um, cost of them closing it is more detrimental to their main agenda, which is to maintain power. So how are you going to combat this? Because it's going to be a battle. It's going to be very difficult to deal with the fact that, you know, power is more important than money. People say money, I think power is, you have the power, money comes along with it. So these people are willing to do whatever it takes. And this, this continuous battle to, you know, destroy the country have been since the country started. <laughs> so, all Good, right. Great now. question. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, 
Yeah, Tyrone, oh, no, thanks for your question, Tyrone. I think, you know, what we're trying to do is have the more responsible governors, and there are also some Republican governors that have been very responsible, make sure that they're waiting until it's safe to really reopen their states. I mean, what Texas and Florida and Georgia are doing is idiotic and certainly won't help. Uh, we actually had a pretty grim presentation yesterday for CPC about, you know, what the long-term prognosis is given this poor decisions by the White House to have people open before they should. And of course, we're hoping that enough of the other states will will not, and that'll help make sure we have a, a less of a loss of life. But again, so much of this is on the president's hands, and unfortunately, some Republican governor's hands, that we can't reopen until you, one, have that curve going down for 14 days, two, have enough testing that you can test and then trace and isolate people who are sick so that others can still go to work, still utilizing social distancing. So there's a lot of work that has to happen, and the president has no master plan. So now we're relying on individual governors and hopefully regional governors collectively working to do smarter results than this president is. Glenn in Kalama, Washington. Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you, Congressman. Uh, Do you believe that we should focus on uh, raising the cap for Social Security and also lowering the Reagan, Bush, and Trump tax cuts to focus on that. I'm starting to notice that the Republicans are focusing on the debt now instead of the economy. Do you agree that we should focus on somewhere else, mainly those items? Yeah, Glenn, I think first and foremost, we got to deal with right now COVID-19. We're still in mitigation, and then we'll get to recovery. However, I agree with what you said. We should be rolling back the tax cuts that they did a few years ago that put us trillions in debt. And we should also be looking at expanding Social Security. And I'm on a bill to do that as well that uh, John Larson from Connecticut has. But right now, we've really got to address the people who are out of work, uh, the small businesses who are having to close down, the people who are getting sick and dying, and we've got to protect the people who are caring for them. That's my main concerns in the next few. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at RepMarkPocan. Susan in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, I want to request on the next stimulus bill that a forgiveness of student loans, especially student loans for people who have paid more than one half of the term of their loan. For instance, I have a 30-year loan. I'm 73. I'm still paying, and I paid 22 years already on this loan to get my master's to be a first-line occupational therapist in hospitals and nursing homes. And I think it's robbery. And I would like to see that stimulus bill include forgiveness of student loans, period. Would that be possible? There's proposals, and I think we've made that part of our CPC proposal. I think, you know, the most likely is what we did get in the I believe, I've got to get, remember which package, so I apologize if I say the wrong package, Susan, but we did get at least the um, suspension of payments for, I believe it's six months, along with uh, no interest accruing during that period. Uh, but we have uh, had bills introduced and had provisions we've recommended to leadership to do just what you're talking about. Whether or not they'll happen, I can't tell you because we haven't got to any details yet of that package, um, but uh, certainly there are people advocating for that Sally in Evanston, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. My concern is primarily right now about all the people who are facing true hunger in this country. And I'm wondering 
what, if anything, the federal government is doing to try and deal with the issue of crops being destroyed rather than using federal resources to make that food available to food banks and other resources in the states and communities that can help people get that food. It's just shameful to see that food go to waste. Yes, Sally, I can tell you a lot of that actually is happening. Uh, The USDA, the Department of Agriculture, for example, in my state, we have a lot of milk that was being dumped. They are now reaching out and getting that for food pantries and other um, group uh, sales, like they used to have school sales, et cetera, for um, things like cheese. That is happening. There are efforts to make sure that we don't have things just being wasted, and the USDA actually is moving forward on those initiatives. I was on a call, I think it was last week, about this. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan, how is it that under the CARES Act, U.S. citizens are being denied the stimulus check if they have one non-U.S citizen in their family. For example, a family of five, if one of those people is not a U.S. citizen, the entire family is denied the stimulus money. What is Congress going to do about this? Yeah, Margie, I mean, obviously it's it's wrong, and we've put some proposals out to care of just that. I mean, part of the problem is with this president, as you know, when it comes to xenophobia, you know, that's his top priority, although these days it seems to be also fighting with the post office. But we certainly don't think that makes any sense. We think it has to change, and it will be one of the items I am quite sure that uh, will be fought for going into CARES too. Michael in Hemas Springs, New Mexico? How do you say it? Hemis, okay, what's up? Hemis Springs. It's the most beautiful part of the world. I just want to ask Congressman Pocan, uh, first of all, let's acknowledge that all of our problems in America are spring from our two original sins, slavery and native genocide. Why are we letting our governors in these red states try to tell the corporations that their citizens are willing to die for their paychecks while the Democratic governors are saying, we're going to help you. Stay home. I hear you, Michael. I I hear you. Um, you This is the problem, right? The president is encouraging them to open. So that's why this is happening. Donald Trump says it. the base then will drink that flavor of Kool-Aid that day, and you'll see some governors doing it. Now, let's remember, Governor Hogan from Maryland's not doing that. Governor DeWine in Ohio uh, has been uh, far more cautious. So it's not every Republican governor, but certainly enough that it's not going to help us nationally. Our numbers won't go down like we need them to, and that's going to cost us all in the long run. But this is part of the calculation right now that Donald Trump is making. It's one that's going to cost an awful lot of lives, but they have the ability to because they're the governor of their states. And this president is trying to say it's up to governors because he's trying to pass the responsibility for what he's already failed in doing adequately. Well, and Republican Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa has come right out and said, because we have opened the state back up, you are no longer eligible for unemployment benefits if you don't show up for work. We consider that a voluntary separation. Do you think that that's the main hidden agenda here is basically, quote, open the state and thus, you know, no longer have state liabilities for unemployment insurance? You know, most of that, though, is paid for by the employer and through the state level, right? I mean, we are paying for the 
the surge and we're paying right now federally for things like WorkShare, which are a great program. And, and fortunately, only 27 states in D.C. have it. But I think a lot of this is Donald Trump just trying to say that he fixed it and that it's not a problem mm. because he doesn't want to admit that he has probably killed more Americans than anyone, including in wartime. And I think it's, again, about the tremendous ego that Donald Trump has and the narcissism that he has. I mean, every press conference, it's about how good of a job he's doing, not about the people who are dying or who are working the front lines. So I wish it was something as simple as that, Tom. Unfortunately, I think it is something far more difficult in that Donald Trump is trying to somehow not have blame onto him. And it's more about his ego than anything as specific as uh, the UI accounts. Remarkable. Richard in Santa Fe, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Regarding the stimulus checks, no one I know has gotten one. And I saw in the news today that Trump says, you know, no more checks. It's like, really? I laughed. Hadn't gotten one. And I have a friend in Canada who was furloughed like three weeks ago. He's gotten two. And so I'd like to see Congress like raise the rafters about this. You know, you want us to isolate, but got to put food on the table, you know. So anyway, it would be nice to see something because it's absurd, really. First of all, the $1,200 check was not our idea. That was Donald Trump's idea because he wanted to give everyone his autograph and look like he's giving you a gift. We want to do regular payments to people during this very tough time. We're the ones who put the surge in for the unemployment so that people who are unemployed at no fault of their own or no fault of the, the business they may work for at least are made as whole as someone who's at the median income. So, And those programs are available, although some states obviously are very overwhelmed just by the sheer numbers right now in unemployment. But you know the problem is they slowed those checks down just because Donald Trump wanted to put his signature on. So it has nothing to do from his perspective about helping people. It has everything to do with him trying to use the federal government to campaign for him. And, you know, the way you take care of that is people get out in November and get rid of the guy. Nancy in Woodland, California. You mentioned that Congress had to endanger themselves to go back for this recent vote. West Point cadets are going to have to endanger themselves to hear Trump speak and that sort of thing. I'm just wondering, why don't people just refuse to follow what I consider illegal orders, like the military can? I agree. On the, on making West Point come back is idiotic as well. But again, you know, how many times can you say idiotic and Trump in the same sentence? Uh, apparently quite often. For us in Congress, I mean, it really, we're just trying to get our leadership to understand that you can do things remotely like states and other countries are doing. We have a problem that some of our members aren't especially technologically adept, but they're going to have to get over that. It's better than putting people in airplanes and flying them around because that means staff eventually are coming in. That means lobbying entities. We got people who I'm hoping we don't have people flying back in to lobby us uh, very soon because that will happen as soon as Congress meets. So we've got to be as smart as possible because we're setting the tone. That's why we wear masks. That's why we're telling people to stay home because we're staying home. And I think we really send mixed messages by just having us come in to say we're working. We can work remotely and we can also send the right signals and more people realize it's good to be home. And we salute every essential worker who is working right now and taking over. John in Portland, <clears throat> Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. This is wild. This could only happen in today's America. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, appeared on the Late Late Show in front of her refrigerators at home. 
she's being chummy with late night talk show hosts and they're talking about what's in her refrigerator. She opens it up and shows off her mail order collection of sort of high end ice cream. And she's laughing about it and, you know, showing off her, I think, Easter basket full of candy and what forth. And John, what's your point? My point is that the president, the White House, used that as an attack ad against Nancy Pelosi to make her seem sort of corporatist, sort of bourgeois, sort of out of touch Mm. with people who are starving, like we've been talking about in America today. And I don't think that her support of any version of the CARES Act that also includes a corporate bailout is going to help real Americans who are furloughed like myself or starving like maybe people's grandmas or dying like people's friends and family. And it looks really, really, really bad. Yeah, John. So I guess you're comparing Nancy Pelosi for liking Dove ice cream bars to uh, Donald Trump killing tens of thousands of people. I'm okay with her liking ice cream bars. I do disagree that I think if you look at what's in the CARES packages and what Democrats, Nancy Pelosi specifically has fought for, you being furloughed, the reason there's a $600 surge a week in unemployment for you and for everyone else who unfortunately is unemployed is because Democrats fought for that. That was one of our bottom lines. The reason we've extended UI, the reason people who are independent contractors and sole proprietors can get UI is all because of things we fought for to take care of people who are hurt. So I think look at the totality of the package, look at what the Republicans introduced, and then look at the differences are. And they were significant. Do we want a bunch of companies to get a bunch of big money with no oversight? Of course not. But that's what Mitch McConnell's priority was. Our priority was working people and working families. So I think Nancy's actually done a a very strong job. And you know what? It's it's something we all laugh at. She loves dark chocolate. The fact that, uh, you know, she likes a, a Dove chocolate bar is a great Republican talking point to cover up the fact that this president's policies are killing tens of thousands of people. I'm okay with Dove chocolate bars. Perhaps a a larger issue here is that the Republicans are just going to turn anything into an attack ad, and we've got to stop eating our own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we fall for their uh, rhetoric, uh, then I wonder if, if, you know, because usually that appeals to their audience the most. Maybe it's not our audience who's repeating some of these talking points. Yeah. Do you see, though, the, the Democrats starting to, in an organized fashion, push back? It seems like the message has not has been kind of scattershot. Well, I think, you know, the problem is people got to look at what we did get in there. And there's serious gaps for some people who aren't covered. And that's part of what we're trying to get covered in CARES, too. And I think we'll be fought for by the Democrats. But you when know, you look at everything good that came out of CARES, too, it didn't come from Mitch McConnell. Good. Okay. Ron in Penyon, New York. Am I saying that right, Ron? Yes. Uh, gentlemen, okay. my question is, if the next package gets approved, I'm talking about the 2000 a month. Do you know if that would go back to, say, March 15th? I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, Ryan, uh, no idea, because I don't know if that idea was something the Republicans will go with, much less if it would be retro or not. I, I just don't know that. My guess is it wouldn't be retroactive because they did have things like PPP and the unemployment in place. So just a guess, no, but I can't give you a definitive answer. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Congressman, the bottom has fallen out for millions of our fellow Americans. A third of renters couldn't pay the rent this month. We have food bank lines stretching for miles, unemployment levels approaching the Great Depression. On the plus side, we're fortunate to have a growing number of strong progressives like yourself. So the question, Congressman Pocan, can and will the Progressive Caucus band together, not unlike the Tea Party once did on the right, Use your leverage to demand the next package, include $2,000 a month basic income for every American, expanded Medicare for all COVID patients, hazard pay for all essential workers, and last but not least, money for city, states, and the post office, including vote by mail. So I know some groups are trying to encourage, in fact, I think Indivisible can encourage members to take a pledge to vote against it. But until you know what's in a bill, it's extremely hard to actually pragmatically expect anyone to do that. We have a lot of priorities. In fact, another priority you didn't mention uh, is the one that Mark Warner and Pramil Jayapal have slightly different bills, but would provide uh, to cover income for people, for businesses that are hurt. I think that's a really important thing we've got to deal with. And that's not in, in what you just mentioned. I think there's a number of things that are really important, but we're going to have to see in the totality what's in a final bill. And yes, we can vote something uh, down if it doesn't have some of our priorities. But right now, from what we're hearing, uh, we're going to be having our leadership fight for many of the priorities that the Progressive Caucus put in there. So until we see the final package, I'm not a big fan of taking pledges on things that we don't know what's in it yet. And I'm not real, you know, I think I think it, the effort would be better focused on convincing leadership that these are things that are strong measures and that would help people the best and, and be the best way to deliver some of these priorities. So I hear what you're saying, and we are fighting for all those programs. I don't know if a blind pledge makes a lot of sense right now. I think there's better things we can do to try to get them included. Your thoughts on what's coming up this week, where we should be focusing our activism, what we should be looking for? Well, again, the fact that CARES 2 is probably going to be voted on in uh, not next week, but the following week, uh, we should be uh, making sure that everything uh, that needs to get included uh, as a priority is being actively campaigned for. And by that means calling your members of Congress and trying to get those included. I think we need to keep making sure that testing increases. And if we can't get the federal government to provide the, the resources, fortunately, a lot of private companies, including in my state, have started coming up with ways to do the tests. But we've got to increase testing and tracing if we're going to be having people start to reopen. If we can keep track of that, along with the CARES 2 package, I think those are two of the biggest things I'm keeping my focus on in the next week or two. Now, are you expecting that to come through, the CARES 2 package? Yes, we think it's going to happen uh, not next week, but the following week. That's why. So it's very, very timely. Great. Okay. Congressman Pokan, thanks so much for dropping by. It's great to talk with you, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Of course, Tom. Thank you, as always. Thank you, and, and stay safe, please. Camille in San Clemente, California, listening to KPFK. Hey, Camille, what's up? Listening to a lot of mm-hmm, David, I mentioned Sabbatean Frankism as controlling the one percent. Uh, they're not even a living entity, but they have an, an ability to control the planet through holograms and simulations. That Wait a minute, what did gone. I miss? Who's not a living entity that is controlling the planet? The Sabbatean Frankism. What's that? Who's they, that? That's what I want to know if you know anything about them. I've never heard anything like this. It's, it sounds Repeated like you know, over. Uh, one of these conspiracy theories that they make up to see how many people will buy into it. Yeah, well, 
it's part of the other side that I'm looking at. And I, are they, I are they also saying that, that pigeons are robotic spies sent here from the planet Xenu? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with that. This sounds pretty strange. Well, I heard it on a, a couple different a couple different people have been talking about the Sabbatean freakism, so I just kind of want a heads up. Yeah. I have a feeling they're pulling your leg, Camille. And if they're not, you know, that would be very troubling. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 